You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Really, really great to see you. I just want to start by saying my name is Robert, and um, hello. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad. This room is, is I'm glad and nervous, if I may say. This room is really full. Um, maybe you didn't know I was preaching. I don't know. Um, anyway, but surprise. Uh, anyway, no, really glad you're here. I just want to start by saying that, that we are so thankful to have to start out every week. It's the first day of the week. Like you realize that. Today begins the week. And what better way to begin the week than with you? And if you're watching online, I want you to know that you are just as much a part with us. We are so thankful that you're here. Whether you stumbled in here because, you know, your spouse made you or it's Christmas time or you're just scrolling through Facebook and you just happen to catch it, we are so thankful that you're here. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 55. To get things started, Isaiah chapter 55, I'm going to read just two verses. You know, there are some verses in the Bible, some little passages of Scripture, that when you read them, it just lights a fire in you. You know what I'm saying? It's like one of those you get done reading, you're like, whoo, you know what I'm saying? Uh, well, Isaiah 55 verses 12 and 13 is one of those passages. We're going to read it together. If you want to shout it out, that's cool. Isaiah 55, 12 and 13. We're going to learn a bit, a little bit about God Right here, he says, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. By the way, can I just pause for a second? I thought he could have come up with a better one than pine trees. Um, pine trees make pine needles in my yard and I had seven pine trees in the back of my house when we bought the house the first thing I did before we even moved in I cut all of them down just saying that just saying but hey he means like it's going to be great okay no no thorn bushes instead trees and then he says instead of briars the myrtle will grow this will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Can I just pray briefly? Father, I want to ask that this truth would be made alive in our heart. Would you do that through your spirit in Jesus' name? I want to fix our eyes on that last little bit that we just read where he says, this will be for the Lord's renown. Now, what does that mean? Like this will be for the Lord's renown. Like, okay, I hear that. I don't really know what that means. It means that this is what the Lord will be famous for. This is what God is to be known for. It's his, if you're reading the ESV, it says this is his name. It's who he is, his identity. And not only that, he says it's going to be like a huge banner, a billboard, a sign declaring to the world, this is who God is. So, what or 
who is God? Like, what is he famous for? Well, it's back in verse 12. We just read it. God is a happy making God. God says, I will be famous for successfully bringing my people into never-ending happiness, never-ending joy, never-ending peace, and all of creation will celebrate and clap its hands at me accomplishing this in them. And you may be like me and say, yes and amen, I believe that right here. But sometimes, a lot of times, I have a hard time feeling that right here. Especially like when so many things around us produce so much sadness, anger, despair. And I cannot think of a more appropriate time to highlight this reality than 2020. And if I may be a little lighthearted because it's what I'm best at, uh, I want to put a few, uh, if, if, some, if 2020 could be summed up in memes, I want to throw a few on the screen for you, okay? Number one. Let me throw that one up. Yes, if life, if 2020 was a bag of chips, orange juice and toothpaste, you know what I'm saying? Or how about this one? Okay, this is me being prepared for 2020 in my night armor suit and then the reality of 2020. <laughs> Nobody was prepared for that. If you were to give 2020 a review, it might look like this on Amazon. Very bad. Would not recommend <laughs> Or, especially early on, if you'll remember in the, uh, early on in the year, this might have been uh, appropriate. Some people aren't shaking hands due to the coronavirus. I'm not shaking hands because everyone's out of toilet paper. <laughs> oh, that makes me laugh. And it's honestly one of the ways that uh, I, I'll try to like uh, overcome despair and sadness in my life. But the reality is there is a serious toll been taken on the world just because we live in a world of sin. It is a broken world. And if God's eternal plan is to make his people happy, somehow it often seems that happiness is like just pulled out of our reach. And if you look around the world, like you would be, there's something wrong with us if we look around at the reality of the world and we're not sad. Like there's institutionalized abortion. Or... We've seen mass shootings or maybe in your life or your family a recurrence of cancer or the moral collapse of society or maybe unfaithful friends or a spouse or maybe personal sins that just seem like so embedded in our bones that we cannot put them to death. And we wonder who could be happy or who could rejoice in a world like this. And that is why Advent is so critically important to our world. Like it's so important for you. And it makes promises that will never disappoint you. So the beginning of the Christian calendar, I don't know if you knew the Christians had a calendar, called a liturgical calendar, the beginning of that calendar is Advent. Not Christmas, but Advent. Advent is this for, like, if you're like me, I grew up in Paragold, and I feel like it was pretty religious around here, and we never even talked about Advent. It was just Christmas time, right? But Advent is this four-week-long season that leads up to Christmas. It's set aside for waiting and watching 
looking and longing for the Messiah. And the reason Advent begins the Christian calendar is because the church fathers had some wisdom about them and wanted to root our hope in something that would not disappoint us. So the beginning of the Christian year, which is not New Year's, it's not Christmas, it's Advent, and that roots us in a hope that will not disappoint us because Christmas happens to make promises that it just cannot keep. Which is not to say we're anti-Christmas, not at all. Matter of fact, if you came to my house, it would look like Hobby Lobby like threw up in my living room. Uh, <laughs> I do have lights on the house. My kids told me they were disappointed in my lights display this year. It's kind of like Clark Griswold's father-in-law who said, your little lights are not twinkling. You know, but I did put lights on the front of the house. There's lights all inside my house. We've gone already to look at light displays around town. We'll still make the trip down to Jonesboro, maybe even Batesville, who has a sweet display. Uh, music, like what we were singing this morning, dude, that fires me up. The music at the crossing, is it next week, right? We're doing bluegrass Christmas here? Bam! You know what I'm saying? That gets me excited. My wife, every morning, first thing she says, before she even says hello to me or that she loves me, she says, Alexa, play Stephen Curtis Chapman Christmas music. Says it every morning, you know, when she gets to the bathroom. And so she loves it. I love Stephen Curtis Chapman Christmas. I cry all the time. A Mannheim steamroller, you know what I'm saying? Michael Buble, don't judge me, all right? Some jazz, a little pentatonics. Those people are, um, I just love Christmas music. Movies with my family every Sunday night from the end of October, November 1st through Christmas. Every Sunday night, we're sitting down in my living room watching a Christmas movie. We start with the Polar Express, Christmas Vacation, Christmas with the Cranks. We found out that was reviewed terribly by critics, but I love it, you know? Elf. Christmas, I mentioned Christmas Chronicles. Anybody seen that one? It's, well, it's a good one, a new one. Christmas food. I love that. A season like this makes me so glad that I'm not on some kind of diet. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, turkey and dressing, ham, dumplings, pies. Amen. Christmas trees. It's the first thing. I, I'm telling you, we get done trick-or-treating, I'm going up into the attic, pulling the tree down. We decorate trees. This right here, it's not amazing. Great job, Jody Dillon and team. Oh, yeah, great job. It looks so, so good. Giving to charity during this time of year. It, it just honestly warms my heart, and I always throw something in, like going by, seeing people serving at, the, at Walmart or whatever, ringing a bell, things like that. It's like, man, I see even people who aren't following Jesus are just more generous during this time of year. And then giving gifts. And I love that. We buy more presents than we can afford. I mean, we do it, honestly. It's a confession, but I'm glad. I love it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love it. So I don't want to disparage Christmas so much as I want to highlight the fact that the season is a shadow of something greater. All this great stuff is pointing to a greater reality. Christmas is the shadow, not the form. And therefore, it's not the answer to everlasting happiness and rejoicing. So what I want to talk about is the thing that's not going to go anywhere. Like when you box everything up, if it's like me, maybe February, and you box everything up and you put it up in the attic and the long part of winter sets in where it's wet and nasty and dark and you're reminded that, hey, this pandemic's not over. Like, how do we rejoice then? So there's three promises of Advent that we want to look at today that we see will never disappoint us. The first one's going to be a past promise. The second is a present promise. And I'm going to let you guess the third one. It's a future promise. It is indeed. All right, so let's start with the first. 
a past promise is that Advent promised light into a dark world. And Luke alluded to this just a little bit ago. But in Isaiah 9, verse 2, Isaiah tells us that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. And since the fall of Adam in the garden, humanity has known nothing but a broken world full of fear, murder, violence, deceit, oppressive regimes, disease, struggle, and it's described as darkness. That's a pretty good description, isn't it? And God promised that a light would dawn in the darkness. How was that going to happen? Same chapter, verse 6. He says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Thank God. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He's saying, hey, Israel, I know it's dark. I know it's bad. But listen, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And so Advent literally means coming or arriving. And so here we have this promise of the first coming of the light of the world. And it's exactly what happened in the first advent. John 1.1, 1, 1, he describes it there beautifully. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He, the Word, was with God in the beginning. And through Him all things were made. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The Son of God, the Word made flesh, tore through the veil between heaven and earth. He put on human flesh and He walked among us. A light pierced the darkness and drove it away. And even if you're not a Christian... And maybe you're watching or you're sitting in here and you're not yet following Jesus. First of all, I want you to know that's totally cool and we are so thankful you're with us. But even if that's you, you also are benefiting from the coming of Christ into the world. Did you know that if Christ had not entered this world, it would be a really dark place indeed. Think about the advancement in human rights since the coming of Jesus. Do you know it's the Christian ideal that humans were created in the image of God that have led to the advancement in human rights that you see? Or women's rights, like Jesus himself elevated the role of women, as did the gospel writers. In fact, the resurrection account hinges on the testimony of women who in the first century, like it wouldn't have even counted in courts of law. Christianity was the first religion not to force widows to marry. Instead, they were supported financially by the church so that they weren't under pressure to remarry if they didn't want to. Christians also historically have not believed in cohabitation, which means like 
living together outside of marriage. And actually that elevated women because it required men to marry women they wanted to live with. So in all these ways, Christian women have enjoyed a lot greater security and equality than women did in the surrounding cultures. Not only that, but children's rights. Christians brought about an end to infanticide in Rome. It was there a lot like it's been in China, by the way, and other countries in recent years where they have like one, well, they've overdone or overturned the one-child policy. I think it's a two-child policy now. But girls would oftentimes, if the family didn't want a girl, we could just be left out to, to die in the elements. The church has been responsible for establishing orphanage, promoting adoption, and fighting the, for the innocent and the unborn. Or what about slavery? And yes, it's true that there are those who've named the name of Christ, who've owned slaves. We know that's true. But it is the followers of Jesus who are primarily responsible for the eradication of slavery around the world. People like William Wilberforce and others. Two-thirds, by the way, of the members of the American Abolition Society were Christian ministers. Even like hospitals, relief for the poor, the end of cannibalism, amen? Okay? Education, and even science itself. You know all those peeps out there who are like, oh, Christians, anti-science, you know? Jesus is not anti-science. In fact, it was like a love for Jesus and a desire to know more of God that has driven the sciences to even be developed. If you look at most major fields of science, most of them were, were created or developed by followers of Jesus. People like Newton and, and um, Boyle and others, okay? Like just, uh, who was it? Uh, Kepler. Kepler. Johannes Kepler is the one who once said that science is merely thinking God's thoughts after him. Like it's a desire to know more of God that's driven us to explore and to learn and know new things. Even workplace ethics, the arts, architecture have been positively influenced by the kingdom of Christ. All this is to say that we are benefiting from the first advent of Jesus, even if we don't follow him. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 31, that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. He said it's the smallest of the seeds, but when you plant it in the ground, it springs up into this huge plant, like a tree. And birds come from all over, and they rest in its branches. You get what he's saying? He says that like the kingdom of God, which started small, like Jesus born in Bethlehem, like in a barn or maybe a cave, okay? Like, but like born in really humble beginnings, Started small with a bunch of know-nothing doofuses as his disciples, his primary apprentices. And now it has like already grown into this worldwide phenomenon that is benefiting the entire world. And so rejoice because the light has come. And that light first shone in such a literal way in a dark time. In a dark and insignificant place. When a very ordinary young girl gave birth to the king of all creation. And while it's true that darkness does still remain, the kingdom of Christ has done more to dispel that darkness than anything in all of history. John went on to say part of why we still struggle even though Christ has come. He says in verse 9 of that same chapter, he says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God, which leads to our second promise. Advent promises a new life filled with light. We have been given new life. 
And it's not a life that was according to our own doing, but the great mercy of God. Like, did you catch what he said that we just read? He gave the right to become children of God. No one earned the right to be a child of God. God is the great initiator of that new life, which is really cool for me. Because I'm one of those that, like, I don't like to take a risk unless I really kind of know that it's... I mean, I, I take a lot of risks, I guess. But I like to know that I'm not going to be rejected. I, I can't handle rejection. Which is why... It's kind of like my relationship with Allison, the way it started. I wish I had some pictures. I'm kind of glad I didn't give them to them to put on slides. Like, pictures of me in high school. Really dweeby, okay? Some You may remember. At school, okay? So I, I got a picture of me, like, at CU at the Pole in my junior or senior year of high school. And I'm wearing, like, these... Levi 560s. If you know anything about those, they're really loose, okay? And I've got a belt on and a t-shirt with like a big American Eagle on it, and it's tucked in to my jeans. Real, I'm just telling you. I'm not a whole lot better today, but I've some advances, thanks to her. So anyway, so like real dweeby, okay? Um, not to disparage anyone, I love band, okay? But I was in band, which like didn't like really help me, you know, as far as like with the, with the popular people. And, um, so, but Allison, she was like uh, on the homecoming court and she's, I mean, beautiful today. She was, I mean, way out of my league. Let's just say that, okay? Uh, thank you, brother. Uh, I'm like, I know, you know what I'm saying? Like I already know. Okay, <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so I, I, would, I would not have, I mean, I would have loved to go out with her, but I wouldn't have dreamed to do it until like one day she had a conversation with my good friend Jason. He was my best buddy. And uh, Jason came to figure out that she actually had a crush on me. And I, like, why? <laughs> okay. Uh, so Jason like drops the hint to me one day in the parking lot of First Baptist Church. He's like, tells me like, hey, Robert, you ever thought about like like going out with Allison? I'm like, yeah, that'd be, you know, she deserves somebody great. She's incredible, blah, blah, blah. And so why not you, dude? And I'm like, ah, nope, nope, you know, because I don't want to be rejected. And I know she'd reject me. And he's like, dude, I, th- I think she actually likes you. And I'm like, what? You know? And so, so then just to kind of, I'm still not sure. And so to test the waters, I write a little note during a band rehearsal for the Veterans Day program at our school. And I pass a note, it's November 1st, 1997. And I pass a note across, this is, lame. I've never even had a girlfriend, okay? Like, legit. I'm a junior in high school. <laughs> I pass a note around, and she, and I'm like, hey, would you like to, like, maybe go get food, you know, sometime? And, uh, and she, she responds back. She's like, yes. I still have that note, by the way. It's in the top of Aiden's closet. But anyway, she says yes, and when she said, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Like, okay, so is this, you know, and then my confidence and courage, like, keeps increasing. Check this out, okay? And while Jesus is not exactly like that, but it's sort of like that with Jesus. Check this out. Jesus has already declared his love for you. So there's no fear of rejection with Jesus. And it doesn't matter. You may be sitting there saying like, yeah, but I'm really bad. You don't know what I, I, what kind of things I've been thinking or what I've done or like how I'm a nobody. Listen, he has already made the first move by tearing open the veil between heaven and earth like we talked about, taking on bodily form. And not only that, but taking all of your sin and shame upon himself. On the cross, he has openly declared his love for you. And now all you have to do is receive it and come to him with the open arms of faith. Like empty hands. Nothing to the cross. I cl- what is it? Nothing to the world. No, what does it say? How does it say? Nothing to the. Yeah, nothing in my hands I bring. There you go. Thanks a lot. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. You don't have to like summon up any great thing to earn his love he loves you and when you do 
come to him. Peter, who is a regular dude, and he's experiencing this new life too. He would go on to write this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Check that phrase out, those two words put together, living hope. That is the opposite of disappointment. If you think about how much of our lives have been marked with disappointment, any amens there? Check this out. This is preachy, I know. But our level of disappointment is directly related to where we put our hope. So your experience of disappointment is directly connected to where you've placed your hope. So we'll do some real talk since it is Christmas time. If your hope is that your spouse is going to like fix everything that feels wrong in you, you are going to be disappointed. And so is your spouse. God help them. If your hope is that you'll be able to manage and control your environment, like with your job or career or maybe your parenting skills, you're going to be really, really disappointed. Or if your hope is that you can control your health to the point that like, you're never going to die, I can eat enough kale and take enough spin classes, that like, I'm never, I'm, I'm never going to get sick, you're going to be disappointed. St. Augustine famously said it this way. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Augustine believed that even when you seem to be enjoying something else, God is actually the source of your joy. Like the thing that you love is from him, and it's lovely because it bears his signature. I'll give you a couple examples. Like if you're experiencing the thrill of a jet ski, you know, it's summertime, and you're, you know, you're jumping waves and all that, and you're like, this is what I was made for. Well, actually, this is pointing to that freedom and exhilaration that you're longing for in Christ. Or like me, when you go to Disney World and you experience the immersive experience of, I call it Star Wars land. What's it called? Galaxy's Edge. Like you, everywhere you look like you're in Star Wars. And you're like, this is insane. This is amazing. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Well, actually, what that's doing is it's pointing to what I'm really desiring. And that's the immersive experience of an eternity with Christ. Or that time with your family. You're like, this is so precious to me. Whether it's those Sunday night movie nights, what that's pointing to is the family of God that you're being invited into, that you've been adopted into. Even these Christmas decorations and all the things I love about Christmas, it's all pointing to Christ. The lights on the tree, he's the light of the world. The music we listen to, like uh, Luke was praying earlier uh, in this room in here, just talking about how that resonates in our, with our hearts in such a way that like other things can't, just reminds us of like how God wants such great intimacy with me. Or the movies that we watch that always seem to have this like happy ending and all that just reminds me that there's a happy ending coming because of Jesus. The food that I eat reminds me that there's going to be a great wedding supper of the Lamb that I've been invited to. These trees up here, notice they're pointy. Which way are they pointing? Boom! You know what I'm saying? They're evergreen. These aren't, but I mean like the Christmas trees are evergreen. Because life in Jesus is eternal. It never ends. The charity that we give to and that we see going on around us reminds us that God is a generous God. 
The gifts that we receive and that we give to our kids reminds us that God is a good Father who loves to give good gifts to His kids. These things are all pointing to your deepest desire, which is to know God and experience His love. And by the way, how, do, how can we know this is even true? Because I, I get it, like, you know, boy, that can sound really good, especially if you're a good speaker, you know, and like, boy, you can really get loud, and people are like, woo, you know, that, that sounds good, you know. But like, you can walk away and say, but like, how do I know that Jesus could actually do that? Well, Peter helps us with that in the very verse we just read. He says, we were born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, I wish that I had another hour. I'm probably going too long anyway, but I wish I had another hour to like go through how we can know that Christ was raised, like physically raised from the dead. But I just wanted to do this. Like maybe you're sitting here and you're saying like, I don't know about Jesus. You know, I think this is a crock. You know, I don't know. I don't believe any of this. Uh, if that's you and like you are a, a person who just requires or maybe just wants a little more proof I would encourage you to take some time and start investigating that, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because Christianity, uh, C.S. Lewis says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Christianity really, Paul said too, Christianity is a farce. I mean, like this is, it's, it's a waste of time. Paul says like you shouldn't be glad to be a Christian if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Because if you did, people should pity you for giving your life to something that, that's a lie. Okay, so if it's you and you're like, I don't know, I don't know about this. I don't know if Jesus can actually do that. Just check it out. And if you'd like some resources on where to look for those things, uh, then I would, I would encourage you to see somebody you came with or come talk to me. I got some resources for you. I know Adam, Jared, Luke, uh, any, any, anybody here just about could give you some resources to help you there. But here's the deal. The resurrection of Jesus. That's how we know this is true. And it's how we know that the promise of life in Christ will not disappoint us. That's how we know. It also, the resurrection of Jesus, secures and guarantees the third promise. So let's get to that. That is a future promise that Advent promises new life through resurrection. Okay, Jesus never promised us a life without pain or problems. He promised us something better. He promised us a way to overcome this world through his resurrection power. So let's stay with Peter here. Look at verses 4 and 5. In verse 4 he says, We've been uh, given new life through resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. So check it out. This inheritance we've been given in Christ will never perish. It will never spoil. It will never fade away. He just described what God can do that nothing in the created order can accomplish. So we'll unpack it just a little bit. Like, I don't know what you're expecting this Christmas or what that one thing is that like, good golly, if I could just get that Woo, my life would be on track, you know? Or maybe it's not Christmas gifts exactly. Maybe, you know, you're more of an adult, you know, and it's not Christmas gifts. There's something in your life that, like, if this would just come together, everything would be all right. In fact, I'm even willing to, like, maybe come to church, follow Jesus and stuff like that if he could help me get this thing. And if that's you, I want you to know that there is nothing 
in the created order that's going to be able to do that for you. And Peter's describing here that this is something only God can do for you. We know it's true. Like anyone, anything that you're going to open on Christmas morning or your kids are going to open on Christmas morning is literally the stuff of future landfills. You know what I'm saying? And you'd be like, well, it could be an antique. You know, we could, we could pass it down for generations. But I'm telling you, it just takes one moron in your family to totally mess that up. And it's landfill. Okay? It's true. You know, you know it's true. And if you have kids, you definitely know this is true. Or maybe your kids are just better than mine. I doubt it. But uh, <laughs> through that, that wasn't in my notes. I just did right, so anyway, like maybe your kids are better. But like if you watch Crossing Kids, um, on episode eight of Crossing Kids, uh, we always do this like Adventures with Ace. Oh, there we go. Episode eight. Uh, in the Adventures with Ace of episode eight, I encourage you to go watch it, even if you don't have kids. Ace's adventure is that we gave him $50 to go into the Disney store in Branson. Okay, and he could buy anything he wanted with $50. So we go this whole deal, and he's looking at stuff. He likes everything in there. He picks out an R2-D2 toy and a Spider-Man mask. He's real excited about it. He goes up there, pays the money and all that, and it's cool. you know. He, and then here we are on this picture. We're right outside the Disney. So look at the joy on his face. He's not my face, his face. You know, <laughs> my face, I'm going to tell you what's happening with my face here. I'm laughing because of what he just said, because I asked him, because I'm trying to make a spiritual point here, and I asked him like, hey, Ace, how long do you think these new toys are going to make you happy? And he thinks for a second, he goes, mm, probably six days. <laughs> That's my face. I'm just like, what? <laughs> six days. And honestly, I would have been surprised if it lasted six days. You know what I'm saying? You know it's true. And kids, this isn't unique to kids. This is true for us too. We were made for eternal things and therefore temporal things can only satisfy us temporarily. This is the way it is. And so Advent's this season that's set aside for waiting and watching, longing and looking for the second coming of the Messiah. It's a season for aching and groaning for something eternal. And as Christians, like this ache should not be unfamiliar or like unique to Advent. In Romans 8, Paul says, I don't have this on the screens, but he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And he says that we too groan inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Elsewhere, Paul says that in this tent, talking about our body, we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. We talk, he's talking about the resurrection. And he also says, we live godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So groaning, aching, longing, all over the pages of Scripture. And these emotions mark the Christian life. Like not just at Advent all year long. Yet many of us, especially in America, just don't resonate with these themes. And that is because even though many of us are, well probably all of us are at times, placing our hope in all kinds of other things, there's just so many options out there that when we do experience disappointment, we just run to something else. We book another trip. We attend another game. We watch another movie. We meet another person. We have another drink. We play another round. We try another church. It's an incredibly effective strategy of the devil 
give us so many options that we never slow down enough to even realize how empty we are. And that is until something like 2020 comes our way. And then you're faced with this tough reality. I'm experiencing disappointment and loss. And it's what's historically been called hitting the ceiling. And all through your life, you're going to hit the ceiling. There comes a point in time when it's just not doing it for you anymore. And one of the things we really love about the Bible is if you read it honestly, it's not just unicorns and cotton candy all in there. It's really honest about some of the grit of being human and living life in a broken world. And Peter does it here. You have this like beautiful passage about life, you know, and no disappointment and newness of life and hope forevermore. This sounds awesome, you know. And then you look at verse 6. He says in verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. But these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when? When Jesus Christ is revealed. So you have this beautiful passage, all these promises, and, and Peter knows what it's like to be like us. I mean, he is one of us. He knows what life in a fallen world is, and he just steps in there and says, and by the way, you're going to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And he says that we can rejoice even in the middle of the mess of life. In fact, we're told that the mess, in the mess, God is actually doing something good. So when you have trials of various kinds, remember that God is at work in your mess. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Look to him because he is accomplishing something in the mess. It's not for nothing. And maybe like we've just forgotten that the promise we've been given is that a hope rightly placed never disappoints. So that dis- disappointment, like we, as we experience disappointment in our life, this has been a hard lesson for me. But disappointment in our life can oftentimes be viewed as a type of spiritual MRI where it shows us where we might have misplaced some hope. So things don't go as planned. You experience trials of life. Peter teaches us to remember that in this pain, like this pain, God's working something out. It comes with a purpose. And what's the purpose? It's to prove the genuineness of your faith. And that faith, when it's proven genuine, through the aching and the groaning and the trials of this life, will result in praise, glory, and honor. When? Like, when's that going to happen? Well, Paul sums it up, and i just got to read his, his word. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, Paul says it this way. He says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And by the way, there's a lot of grieving going on now, right? What about 300,000 people have lost their lives just in the United States through the coronavirus, some even in our own church? For we believe, he says, that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. So like I'm, even though I grieve over people who've died, I don't grieve like everybody else because I know they're coming back with Christ. And then verse 15, he says, according to the Lord's word. And by the way, how do we know we can trust the Lord's word? Because of the resurrection of Jesus. 
According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord, oh, it's going to be good. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice, oh, this is going to sound awesome, isn't it? The voice of the archangel of God and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is why I've always said, if I die before Christ returns, I really, really would like, please, Allison, listen to bury me in a Superman outfit. You know what I'm saying? I just, well, please do it. It would be so awesome. All right, so like, like that right there. When he, when that, like, you know what I'm saying? Superman. Oh my gosh. Praise God. That was going to be so good. All right, so anyway, maybe don't do that because that would put a light on me and we don't want to do that. Okay, so anyway. The Lord's going to come down from heaven. The dead in Christ are going to rise. Verse 17. After that, those who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. By the way, it's just like when a king is coming to town, there would be this royal, this entourage that would go out and meet the incoming king, the victorious king. They would usher him into town, okay, which is what he's doing. He's coming down to earth. He's going to make all things new, like all sad things come untrue. <sighs> Starting to sweat. Okay. And so, we will be with the Lord forever, he says. And check this out, verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is to be an encouragement. This is something to cause us to rejoice. Even when things around us seem hard and painful, we have cause to rejoice because our hope is not in the things of this world. i got a future home in glory. You know what I'm saying? Ah. So... I know for many, I know for many, it has been an incredibly difficult year. So I do want to invite you back into a hope that's marked by life, not disappointment. And that disappointment maybe, just maybe, is revealing that you've misplaced your hope. And if you're not a Christian and you're here because, you know, like we said, it's Christmas or you're trying to make your spouse happy. I want to lay before you that What we're saying today, it is a proclamation, like we're declaring this is true, but it's also an invitation to you. And so if you're hearing this, you're like, dude, I don't know. I'm telling you, Jesus invites you, and there's just nothing else you have to do. Literally nothing else you have to do. Just give up. Give up trusting in all this stuff. It's just not going to do it for you. So I want to give you, last thing, that's how we're going to close. Maybe you're struggling to rejoice in a broken world. And I want to end with four simple things. I'm not going to labor on them. Just four simple things you can do to stir your heart with hope within you. Number one is just look around. See the difference that Christ has made. Look at the incredible world that we live in. And I know it's marked with all kinds of pain, but I'm telling you, without Christ, it would be dark indeed. And rejoice in the good things that have happened in this world because of the coming of Jesus and his church. Secondly, look up. Be reminded of the love the Father has shown to you by giving His own Son to ensure your adoption. Listen, check this out. God, you may have been told and you may believe that what God wants from you is like just obedience or just be good or be like Jesus. But listen, what God wants of you more than anything is you. He wants your heart. John 15, he talks about, says, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me. That's what he wants. He wants you, and you want him. All the longings of your heart are ultimately pointing to that reality. 
So look around, look up. Thirdly, look ahead. Take that spiritual MRI, let the Father, and he'll do it so lovingly. But let the Father lovingly show us where we've misplaced our hope. And remember that we were made for eternal things. And Jesus will deliver on his promise of making all things new. It's not always going to be this way. I promise. He promised. Fourth thing, just do it. Rejoice anyway, even when it's hard. Do, like, do the spiritual disciplines anyway, even though you don't feel like it. Practice obedience anyway. Even when you're like, I don't, this doesn't make sense and I would rather do that, you know. Just trust him and do it anyway. And check this out. You may have heard people say, and it's true, that what we love, we do. Okay? If you love it, you're going to do it. But it's also true that what we do, we love. And sometimes it just takes a little action before our heart finally catches up. And it's one of the reasons that we take communion every week. Because it's a doing something where we're physically doing something, even when our heart doesn't feel it, that just reminds us that, hey, this is what we were made for. Oneness with God through Christ. Eugene Peterson said it this way. He said a person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he or before she acquires an appetite for the world of grace. So if we let it, the disappointment of 2020 can whet our appetite for the kingdom of God. And for Jesus, which is her king. Are you, are you fed up like with the ways of the world? Are you done being disappointed? Have you had enough disappointment yet in your life? If so, listen, trust in Jesus. Advent reminds us that's where our hope should be. And it will never, he will never, ever disappoint us. Let's pray together. Then we'll take communion as soon as we pray. Take communion. Then we'll stand and we will rejoice together. Our Father, we thank you that your word is true. We know it's true. You proved it to be so because you promised that you would not only die in our place, but you would rise again. And you proved that to be true. Like the check cleared the bank when you rose from the dead. And so we know we can trust you. And so we want to trust you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to believe these things are true. Help us to feel, help us to feel what sometimes our head knows to be true. So we love you. And we just ask you to do a great work right now in Jesus name. Amen.